Hey guys, we are back. Welcome to episode 33 of Rankable. I'm your host as usual, Jared Thomas, Senior Account Executive at iPool Rank. I'm joined today by a special co-host, our Director of Marketing, Kevin Quo. How are you, brother? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be on the show, finally. <laughs> I'm glad to have you on, man. There's 33 episodes I've been trying to get you on, <laughs> and I'm glad to have you, brother. And we also have a very, very special guest. So this brother is somebody that I you know, emulate a lot of my content after, is somebody that I've been looking at and inspired by for quite some time. You may have seen him at you know places like PubCon, MozCon. He's a keynote speaker, well thought, one of the best B2B marketers in my mind in content guys. So I want to introduce our special guest, man, C um, CEO of Ross Foundation, Ross Simmons, man. How are you, brother? Good, Jared. Great to be here, man. Super excited to uh, chat with you. I have mad respect and love for the folk, things that iPoll Rank has been doing over the last few years, close to decades now. Um, it feels oh. like mad respect. And I'm super excited to chat with you folks. It's going to be fun. Thanks again, brother. We really appreciate it, man. We, we had this one circled on the calendar, man. And, and for everybody that's watching right now, basically what we want to go over today is just how to get the most out of your content. So that's a big problem, big issue, whether it's B2B, whether it's individual. And what we want to help you guys with how to get more engagement, how to monetize your content potentially, and how to reach more buyers. So before we get into that, Ross, I would love to you know hear about your journey because you, you're so passionate about content. Yeah. I would love to know where that where did that passion come from? Yeah, so I'll take you back into time a little bit. I've always been an entrepreneur. Like my first business that I ever started was selling do-rags out of a locker when I was in high school. And that gave me the first taste into business and just being obsessed with it. You mm -hmm. fast forward a few years later and I started a fantasy football blog. So I was writing about sports. Um, on the side of that, I also had a website where I was talking about Madden and how people can essentially play Madden better. Um, I started to write about how to simulate your Madden game and kind of created a whole world around that. In the process of doing all of this, I quickly realized that content gave me, a kid who was living in a very rural, small place in Canada, the ability to reach people all over the globe. And when I had the ability to start seeing visits coming through from folks all over the world, I was like, this internet thing is going to last. And I have the ability to use this content and this information that I'm creating to have potentially the ability to change my life. So I doubled down, continued to create content about sports. I did that all the way through university and was able to pay for a good chunk of my tuition. At a certain point though, my grades started to slip and my mom was like, son, I think it's time to like focus on your grades. Like you gotta <laughs> graduate. So I shifted my blog from writing about sports to writing about marketing, which is what I was studying in school. Mm -hmm. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, probably a year after I graduated, I started to create content about like how social media can connect with Gen Y, um, all of this stuff. And I got an email from a company out of Florida and they wanted to fly me down first class to speak to a bunch of their execs when I was 22 years old, living in my parents' basement, <laughs> probably... $200 in overdraft fees on my account. And they were like, and we'll pay you. And I was like, ching, ching. This is, <laughs> this is wild. So I took the flight. My parents mm -hmm. thought I was going to get killed. I thought I was going to get killed. Like, this doesn't happen. What is this? Like some random person on the internet wants to fly you to a hotel and put you up. So I did it. And it just blew and changed my entire life. So at that point, I was like, this internet thing is real. I'm going all in. I got to create more content. I need to write more content. And then every single time since then that I've published content, I've had the perspective that those assets 
are assets. You press publish on a blog post, it's an asset. And that asset can pay you ROI. It might not happen immediately, but eventually if you create enough assets that are of high quality, you're gonna reap the reward. And I fast forward now and I'm able to look back at some of those initial investments that I made when I was like struggling to kind of get by, but still creating content and staying true to that idea. And I'm still able to cash checks from content that I wrote four or five years ago. Every mm -hmm. time I go on Twitter, I can do a quick search for my name, Ross Simmons, and I'll find people tweeting out content that I wrote five or six years ago, people sending out quotes that I said years ago. And some of them I don't even remember, but it's <laughs> essentially the compounding effort that started way back then on the idea of if you create something once and then you are willing to distribute it and promote it forever, you're going to be able to pay for it. Like you're going to get the rewards. You're going to get the ROI on it. I love that, man. Are you using a social listening tool in order to, to check out those mentions and things? You do like yeah, so I've, I've had Hootsuite set up with like an, an actual list that just shows whenever someone's saying Ross Simmons or tweeting out about any of my links, et cetera, with our URLs. So that's been set up where it's just like keeping track of all of that content. Sick, man. That's sick, man. I, I would love to know too, man, because like you're, you're very targeted. Like, yeah. like that's one thing I love about, about you, man. You don't veer off. Yeah. Me, I'm kind of more of the, let me tell you your story. Then today I might have something new for you. I might yeah. have some sales tips tomorrow, maybe some LinkedIn yeah. tips, who knows, man. So what is the importance? Like, how do you feel um, about somebody like myself who may go over like a lot of different topics as opposed to somebody like you who is super laser focused? Yeah, is, that, is there a benefit? Is there a bad side to yeah. that? I think it's a blend of both. Like, I think you can definitely... So the way I always view it is you have to figure out what your goal is for the social plan channel at large, right? Like you have mm -hmm. to start by understanding what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Are you trying to create a community where people are engaging with you and interacting with you? Um, are you trying to be seen as a thought leader on a certain subject? Are you trying to be seen as a generalist? Like you have to start by understanding how you want to be positioned. And I can remember early on with my own career, I actually took the time to look at who exists in the market today. How are they positioned? And where do I fit into this mix? So I looked at folks like Seth Godin. I was like, all right, he's a pure play intellectual. Then we have folks like Malcolm Gladwell, and he's a pure play writer, author, and that's the lane that he's in what's different about them and then i like reverse engineered it to think okay now what's going to be my thing and then i looked at other folks who were in the marketing industry who were building up these profiles and building up a, a significant community and i started to again reverse engineer how they did it and some of them to your point will mm -hmm. still talk about all things and everything mm -hmm. there is a place for that like there's definitely value in that and you can build a lot of trust with people by taking that approach for me I believe my social channels from the for the most part are meant to do one of two things, either drive business for foundation at large or actually drive a meaningful impact for my followers so they can actually be better in their life. So like if I yeah. accomplish one of those two things, I'm pretty much good. And those are what like inspire me on a regular basis is let's drive business, let's yeah. drive sales, let's drive results for foundation or let me just add as much value as I can to the people who are following me. So they either get better and improve or they'll essentially just be inspired and want to share my content and send it along to someone else. But I, I just love it all. I don't really, um, 
with the lane of content marketing and distribution, that's what I know really well. So I focus on it for the most part, but I will dabble. Like when the football season is happening, yeah. you'll see a lot of Eagles references starting to come out. My followers, <laughs> usually if the Eagles are, are going far in the playoffs, I usually lose a few followers because I get obnoxious, um, <laughs> but it, it didn't happen last year. So my followers went up, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. And, and Kev, did you, like you was about to ask something. Oh, no. So I was just like wondering, right? So if you're like a company, right, and you know the importance of um, creating great con content, but you know, you're at the early stage, nobody really knows who you are. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. you don't really have the resources to, um, you know, make that initial push, like, what would be your advice for, you know, these kind of companies or people who want understand the value of content, but, you know, like, has a hard, hard, hard time starting this like mm. content marketing journey. You know what I mean? So sure. yeah, I guess my question is like, like what are some low hanging fruits that can, yeah. you know, you can, as a content marketer, you can go after first. So yeah. I think every company can take some advice that my dad gave me and always talked about when I was young and it's this, it's mm -hmm. always better to have one really good kid than three bad ones. And I think the same thing exists on social media and content. Oftentimes, organizations that are under-resourcing and under-investing in social media will say, let's do all the things. Let's be on Twitter. Let's be on Clubhouse. Let's be on TikTok. Let's write ebooks. Let's launch a community.com SMS campaign. Let's do email marketing. Let's do all the things. Let's get into NFTs. They want to do it all. But if they just stayed focused on one thing and thrived and accomplished excellence on that channel, they would see a way better ROI and bang for their buck. So my recommendations to organizations that are early is find one channel, own it, become excellent, and then consider moving on to the next one. Don't be so, um, it's in many ways, it's, it's, a lot of ego associated with this idea that you yeah. can you have to be everywhere. You don't. Mm -hmm. Like be great at one thing before you start jumping over to the other channels, right? Like it's easy to get caught up in the race as well. Like you yeah. see so many other brands doing things on all the channels and you're like, we have to do it too. We have to, <laughs> we have to compete with the competitors. They're on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, they're on Clubhouse. We have to do all the things. No, you're not even good at one of them yet. Like become great at yeah. one thing first before you start jumping to the next. Now, I have a follow-up to that. What, what channel, if you had to pick one right now, what channel would you recommend people to start on and why? Yeah, great question. So it's very different depending on the business itself, but mm -hmm. I think you want to go to the channel where your audience is and then you optimize the content that you're delivering based off of what's already existing and generating traction. So mm -hmm. in the world of SaaS and software, which is the space that we play, mm -hmm. Foundation, Twitter is a goldmine. Like that's where SaaS founders, SaaS marketers are spending a lot of time. So that's where we need to be. Yeah. If I was in the world of, let's say, um, manufacturing, I'm probably going to shift it to LinkedIn, right? Like LinkedIn yeah. is also a goldmine for more traditional business. If I'm a lawyer, I'm doubling down on LinkedIn. If yeah. I'm an accountant, I'm doubling down on LinkedIn. Um, if I'm someone who is in the creative brand world, I'm probably looking at something like Clubhouse or TikTok. Yeah. Like I'm probably shifting my attention to somewhere different, but also keep an eye on the features that these products are rolling out because they yeah. oftentimes will skew their algorithm to benefit those who leverage new features. On yeah. Twitter, that's spaces. 
if you are a brand that is trying to make it on Twitter, you should be really paying attention to Twitter spaces. It's essentially the ripoff of Clubhouse. Yeah. You don't think they're going to emphasize the organic reach for that? They are. They're going to double down on spreading yeah. it. Similarly, similarly on Instagram, if I'm in the e-com or D2C space, Instagram Reels is where I'm putting all sure. of my eggs in the basket. In fact, I'm going to start experimenting with Instagram Reels because Facebook owns Instagram and Instagram has amazing reach. Thus, I believe there's probably even an incentive in the marketing world where you can leverage reels. So yeah. I think it comes down to understanding where your audience is and then just being all in and focused while also acknowledging that when a pro when a platform rolls out a new feature, you should jump on it. Um, and then with that, it's like, okay, rinse and recycle, continue to do it over and over again. And I believe you'll you'll be able to win. I, I totally agree with that, man. And I, I don't think enough B2B brands leverage that. I don't think no. they have that mindset. And, and even sellers too, because I speak with a ton of sellers, man. They're like, Jared, man, I see you doing your thing, man. How do you get, how do you even have time to do your nine to five? And how do you do all of these things? And it's like, right now with the pandemic, man, you have to have a multi-channel approach. Yep. And that's the only way to be you know, effective. I think for me, like, and, and I think the key thing you said there was knowing your audience, knowing where your yeah. audience is, right? Yeah. Sometimes they may be on LinkedIn, but then some days, like maybe from five to eight, they're on Clubhouse. Yeah. So I right. might have to migrate it over, right? And the key exactly. to the Clubhouse is, it's like yeah. a credibility, it's like a cloud thing. It's like, who, whose room can I get into that has a value to my audience that can help me with my credibility to drive more conversation? Exactly. And the other play that is often overlooked is the fact that the piece of content that you create on Twitter can, funny enough, also thrive on LinkedIn, right? Yes. Or the piece of content you create on LinkedIn can thrive on Twitter. So yeah. the repurposing and remixing of content is often underrated as well. I've oftentimes said, like, if you create a piece of content, repurpose it, distribute it, yeah. promote it, amplify it, create once, distribute forever is kind of my mantra. And it comes down to this idea that there's only so many hours in a day. So yeah. if I write a tweet and it's fire, I'm going to screenshot that tweet and I'm going to share it on LinkedIn. I'm also going to white note all of the breadcrumbs and I'm going to share that on my story on Instagram and probably yeah. even fleet out that same tweet as a fleet on Twitter. And I'm going to retweet it five weeks from now because, hey, it got traction before, but now I've got more followers. So I think the other part of this that's important is once you know where your audiences are, don't be afraid to distribute your content that you've created on one platform on another one. Similarly with video and podcasts like this, yeah. there's so many nuggets of insight that we're going to be talking about all of these things can be turned into future pieces of content, right? Like the sure. rant I just went on could literally be a long form post on LinkedIn. And that's one piece. It could also be a Twitter thread that I will probably do where I'm talking about the exact same thing. And then I'm going to meta, take a screenshot of this and say, I talked about this in this podcast. And then they're going to hear me <laughs> talking about something that I did. It's meta, but it works. Like that's how I love you play it. a game where you create something and you just distribute it forever in different ways. Um, I so, love that. So essentially, it's like, all right, we create, create one thing and, you know, wherever, you know, our audiences are, just like continue to show it to them. And then at a certain yeah. point, they'll be like, all right, cool. That's like exactly. good stuff. And then they'll come back to you for the same type of um, content in the future. But, it, but I'm curious, is there such thing as bad content? Like, do, you, do is right. there such thing as like over remixing your content? Like, is it like a P. Diddy thing? I get one remix and you're done. Like, <laughs> like how often should I do it? Or how often should you look back at your older pieces? So you only remix the hits, right? Like you only remix the hits. That's it. If it's a hit, you remix it over and over again. Because if you have a hit, you have what I call content user fit. And when you have content user fit, it means that the content that you've created 
always resonates with your audience, right? Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different pieces of content that over the course of the years, I pull rank is probably created or that any yeah. influencer, or any brand is created. Some of them were viral hits, but for some reason we forget about them and we never promote them again. We never share them. Yeah. We never tweet them. We never remix them, etc. That's a huge mistake because yeah. the piece that went viral in 2019 and it might've went mini viral, like I'm not talking, it's gone like massive, but the piece that resonated with your audience in 2019 and it ended up getting you business is yeah. going to do the same thing in 2020, as long as it wasn't a very topical idea, right? Yeah. If you created a piece about a general topic and you framed it a certain way and you shared it in 2019, it set the industry on fire, guess what's gonna set the industry on fire now because there's new people in the roles that weren't in those roles before the same asset. So you take that same asset, which was a hit before, and then you bring it back to folks. There's a reason why like never, there's like some songs that like uh, Rick Astley, never gonna give you up, never gonna yeah. let you down that track. Yeah. It still hits, why? Because it was a hit, it was a great song. So it still resonates. You go back to hip hop, like the blueprint. I can still listen to that album every For single sure. day. I can listen to American Gangster every single day because they're great albums. And if we can think as marketers in a similar mindset, where if we put our energy and time into creating something that is a hit, let's reshare it. Let's get more eyeballs on it. Like we oftentimes forget the fact that there's billions of people in the globe <laughs> and our small little traction of getting 50,000 people is amazing. No, there's still a billion other people that need to see this piece. Like let's spread it a little bit further um, and get out of this idea that our job is done after we press publish and share it a few times on social. Yeah. And I, I think that, man, that's a great point. I love that, man. I'm about to remix all of my stuff. <laughs> I'm about to get Diddy, man. <laughs> it's worthwhile doing, man. It's worthwhile doing. Like even on interviews, right? Like if you go back to some of the last few podcasts that you folks have done, there's mm -hmm. been tidbits and insights that people have dropped that you can repurpose. You can throw your logo on it. You can add a new caption and you reshare that content over and over again. And you'll find that it will just give your content a better bang for its buck. Like that's the other thing. If you, from, from the beginning, I talked about how when I was first creating content, I view that content as like an investment that would eventually pay dividends. The best way to reap the rewards from your investment is to continue to use it. So yeah. if you invest time in creating a piece of content, let's say 10 hours, you're doing a disservice to yourself to only spend one hour sure. promoting it or 30 minutes or 20 minutes, which most yeah. people would spend. Yeah. Spend 10x the amount of time promoting as you do creating and you'll be able to reap the rewards for sure yeah that's a great point man and i you know what i'm, I'm curious too because i think you as you know it's better than anybody man like the whole pandemic has changed search behaviors mm -hmm. it changed the way we consume content it's changed the way sellers and buyers even interact with each other right like yeah. instead of like the cold emails they may bounce back now they're on um, linkedin we're conversing in the comments and then it migrates yeah. over to the dm so like i'm curious like when you have a really good piece of content is it more important just to get people to engage with that content or is it more important to gate it? Like, what is your thoughts on gated content? Yeah, I think both have a role. More than anything, if you're gonna gate your content, you have to make sure that it's ridiculously valuable. Um, yeah. And that the people who download that asset are very much close to being on the path of wanting to buy. So I yeah. do think that there's value in having some gated content, but there's a lot of value also in creating 
uh, essentially both. So let me yeah. talk through a overarching idea that I believe works the best for content, especially when you're doing long form. You okay. don't just create a long form piece that is publicly available and then call it a day and press publish and hope you get a bunch of engagement. Instead, you're going to also offer people the ability to download that full blog post or that full long form asset as a PDF that they can forward to their boss, they can share with their CEO, they can yeah. share with their team. And if they also download it, they will get a bonus chapter that isn't included in the long form piece. So the value is there, right? Like the value to just engage and interact is there. But if they want to take it a step further and get a little bit of extra icing on the cake, they can do so in exchange for their email. So I believe the best play that you can make mm -hmm. is to actually do more of an upsell on the approach okay. rather than just say a pure play. You can only get this if you access it via a gate. I think you pull down the gate, deliver as much value as possible, and then upsell. Hey, if you want this entire thing in a PDF format, or if you want to download an audio version of this where the writer is actually yeah. going to talk you through some of it, like, that's where you get the email. If they upsell because they've clearly demonstrated that they want it, now you get them to build on that a bit further yeah. to demonstrate, I'm willing to get my email for this. I want it so bad. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll say it on air, man. Like, I, I can't stand Gates. Right. I, I had a conversation with Jake Dunlap. You hit me with the, man, when's the last time you cuddled up with an ebook under the fire? Right, right. <laughs> like, when no, do you do it? I just think you should be giving value. And, like, I don't know if you ever heard this line, man, but I say it religiously here. Teach them how to fish, and you should, and they'll learn yourself fishing poles, mm, right? right. Right. If it's enough value, right? I want people to come to the table. And right now, yeah. the attention, we're all fighting for attention. Netflix, yeah. Amazon, whoever, yeah. like um, Davio from Revolt, who was our guest last week, he said a great thing. We're all our own personal digital media brands. It's true. I love that. It's like, so true. It's it's so, so true. It, right? It's like so true. So why not just give it off for free? Because I get the aspect of you collect the email. We want to put you in a sales process. But there also is some negativity to that, too, because if I come in there, I just wanted this information. You don't yeah. know where I am in the sales process. So if you start hitting me with unwanted emails, yeah. then what does that do to my brand affinity to that company? Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's the key. It's like you have to recognize that at the end of the day, not everybody's going to be at the same point. Like somebody yep. who downloads a guide could be ready to buy, but they might also be a student that's just working on an essay and yeah. they need to learn about the word MQL because they can't figure it out. And yeah. they're like, all right, I have to write an essay on what an MQL is. And then you're getting your sales teams trying to nurture a student. Like it's, it's pointless. So you yeah. definitely have to kind of be careful with the gates. I 100% agree. Yeah, totally, man. Yes. So uh, Ross, I have a question, just like a yeah. more macro question, right? You've been in the content marketing game for like a while now, right? And you've yeah. seen how people like consume content, let's say for example, for like blog posts, you know, they're just mostly words and yeah. then they come into like, you know, you gotta add more visuals, you know, mm. make it into like, like infographics or stuff like that. And right now I'm sh pretty sure like video is like, you know, what people yeah. like to consume nowadays. And what do you see the future of like, the types of content that people like you know like when clubhouse became a thing you know, like it blew up everyone was like oh shit that's like a really cool new <laughs> way of like interacting and like consuming content right so what do you envision that is going to be like a like a cool next thing kind of you know yeah great question so i think um one of the biggest realizations that i'm going through and i thought i'd never hit was the fact that as you age your media habits stick with what they were essentially when you were 25, 28. So like my media habits are behind. I wasn't early on TikTok. 
But when I decode on TikTok and I see what folks are doing and I see some of the early adopters there, that's a quick glimpse into what the future holds. The future holds short form video content that is very quick, easy to see, easy to understand, 30 seconds oftentimes talking about highly technical and very sophisticated stuff. That's where the future will lie. I think written content, as much as I love it, as much as I adore it, and as much as I've been able to build my brand on the back of it, I would be ignorant to say fast forward 20 years and that's going to still be the major majority of content consumption. I just don't think it will be. Um, So with that, I do believe things are going to get even deeper than what we see on TikTok and Reels. I'm a big believer in the idea of augmented reality. I'm a big believer in this idea of a metaverse. I'm a big believer in this idea that in the future, we're going to plug into something in some way, and it's going to coincide with real life. So we have real life that we consume. That's not going anywhere. But we're also going to plug into something the same way that we plug into the internet to come to a place where it's always on, where you can interact with friends. Some of your friends will be online, some of your colleagues, some of your partners, et cetera. And you will be met with content in different formats. You're going to be met with ads in a different way. You're going to be met with an immersive experience in a different way. I do believe that that's going to be a thing. Let me geek out on you a little bit further. So I also believe deep down that autonomous vehicles are going to fundamentally change the way that all of us interact with the world around us, especially Mm. when you consider that the vast majority of us pre-COVID and probably still even post-COVID had a significant commute. So we spent a lot of our time in our vehicles and we would have to hold hold on to the steering wheel and drive or we're in a bus and we would have headphones in, et cetera. I believe audio content is going to become even more important and more and more people are going to rely on podcasts, but also that vehicles such as autonomous vehicles are going to start having programming that is based off of GPS and location base. So as you are driving down the street in your autonomous vehicle and you're sitting in the back, you will probably get an ad in your headphones or in the audio around you that is going to say, hey, it just turns out that McDonald's is selling a burger for 15% off. Would you like us to make a quick stop for you? And then you can say yes, or you can swipe right and you can say no, whatever, but your autonomous vehicle will transact and move you around based off of GPS locations and take you to wherever you want to be. Now, some of the people are watching this and they're like, this B2B guy is geeking out about the weird things. I hear you. I understand. <laughs> I think all of these are human in nature. And while B2B is typically slow to catch up, mm-hmm. I think there's also insights in this that B2B brands will be able to capitalize on and utilize in our lane just the same. Um, but that's kind of where my mindset goes long-term as we think bigger. I'm confident that my children, when they grow up and they are older, they are going to live in a completely different world than For us. Sure. And mm-hmm. They will probably make transactions somehow in their mind or just by like swiping their hand in front of their face. And it will be directly also related to them then being driven to that place by the vehicle that they're in that is self-driving. I'm thinking about it now. Like, damn, that's going to be so fire. It's going to be wild. wild. Yeah, that's like a super interesting thing to like think about. Like, imagine like there's just so many endless possibilities that we can go with that, you know, like. Tons. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, how do you skate to the puck in that instance, right? Like, what should right. brands be thinking of right now to prepare for that future? And I like, the, I was gonna say, even before getting to that, like, what do you think is the thing that that most B two B brands are just failing on right now? Like, I know yeah. for me, I think that most B two B brands 
speak to the brand like it's a brand without thinking it's a human behind it. Like, that's my biggest thing, but I'm curious to hear your take. I think that's correct. The B2B brands that we see still today are so tainted by this idea that you have to do what all of the other B2B brands have traditionally done, that they find it difficult to break the norms and do things differently, right? In many ways, if hate them or love them, Salesforce kind of paved the way with this idea that if you want to be a leader in a space in the early days of your business, you actually have to break the norms and do things differently. They were picketing outside of their um, competitors' uh, conferences. They were sending uh, people to pick up their competitors' customers at airports when they were going to conferences, and they would have Salesforce swag on all the taxi drivers. They would make sure that everywhere you went, like it was over the top. That's a direct page out of the brand book of companies like Supreme, right? Like Supreme lives and breathes that. But B2B brands are often afraid to get creative, to get innovative, and to do things that will get the people talking. But you have to. Like you have to be okay with that idea. And it's not easy. Like don't get me wrong. Some of us work in what we would consider very boring industries. But if you can find content user fit and you can find a way to tell a story in a way that's a little bit more interesting than the next competitor, that's where you can find some gold. So I think B2B brands just need to be okay with innovating and tinkering and testing. For example, you rewind back three or four years ago, Mm -hmm. every B2C mattress company was sponsoring a podcast. No B2B brand would touch it. Now they're finally waking up. So my advice to B2B brands is to start waking up sooner to the fact that things like Clubhouse are taking off, that Twitter Spaces is taking off. And let's start also looking at newsletters, like sponsor some of these sub stacks that are blowing up. There's so much potential, but B2B brands are often late and behind behind the curve. Absolutely. And then empower, empower your staff and empower your employees yes. to be to be the voice of the brand. Right. There's yeah. no better influencer or, or influence that, you know, your brand can have by the people who are yeah. in your sales force, the people who are in your marketing, waving the flag the highest and tell them about the brand and not coming from like a salesy perspective. But yeah. like, I'm, cu- I'm curious about what you just said, though. Like, how do you convince that person who's been in the industry for 20 years? Like, say I'm CMO of a new sales force. And I'm like, look, I want to do all this branding. I want to do some swag. And he's like, all right, what's going to be the ROI and how do we measure that? What do I say to that guy? Great question. So I think the best approach is to always show examples of organizations that are where the CMO or CEO wants to be. So if a Mm. CEO says to me, what's the ROI of brand on LinkedIn? I'm going to go do a search of brands that have accomplished the goals that he he or she is setting out. So if they say, I want to be um, the leader in this space. Okay, let's find the current leader. And what are they doing on LinkedIn? Oh, they've got 100,000 followers. Oh, they also publish every day. We can't get to where you envision leader unless you invest the same way that these organizations are investing. So I think the best way is to show clear examples of success and then say we can achieve similar success if you give us the keys to get there and you say you're now empowered to do it. I think that's the, I sent out a tweet earlier today where I was essentially saying like the biggest role of a CEO and an exec is to hire smart people and get out of their way. Like, that's it. Like, 
Hire smart people to do great work and get out of the way and let them thrive. Because as the leader of the company, you're going to be removed over time from what actually works in the nitty gritty of a tactic and a strategy and a technique, such as TikTok, like yeah. person who should lead your tech TikTok, unless you're a TikTok organization and that's your niche, is yeah. probably the person who already ran a personal TikTok account and have one TikTok go viral, right? Like that's yeah. the person who you should empower and trust to run your account. Let the creators create, let the makers make, and the ROI will be seen when you, as the leader, view it as assets that they are creating for you. Like as long yeah. as you view them as assets and you start to view the ROI down the road as like, okay, we're gonna we're going for this vision, that's where that's where it starts to pay for itself. Oh man, I love it, man. I appreciate it. I, I even realized we were past time, brother. I'm not gonna lie yeah. to you. Yeah, man, I'm like, time is just flying. I could ask you so many different things, man, but I don't want to take too much time. I know you're you're super busy, brother, but I just want to say thank you, man, for, for joining Rankable, man. This is a conversation I was looking forward to, man. I've got a, a lot of actionable insights that I'm gonna deploy on my content strategy. I know Kevin's about to do some brainstorming and do his thing. So, nice. Nice. so thank you again, brother. Like we, we really appreciate you, man. You inspire me personally, you inspire our team, man. We love what you do, brother. And, you know, we're always rooting for you. Thanks so much. And likewise, I appreciate all the work that you folks are doing. The Rankable Thank Podcast, you, I'm watching and seeing what you folks are doing. I love what you're building. It's been Thank amazing you, to watch. Keep it up. And folks who are listening, if you want to connect with me, I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter at The Coolest Cool or Ross Simmons on LinkedIn. I would love to connect. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been Thanks a again. Thanks again, Thanks, brother. Ross. See you. Take care. All right, bro.